think we're good enough to begin. Let me open us up in prayer. The Lord be with you. Dearly Father, I give you praise for this day. Um, I give you praise for the, the, the air that's in our lungs that we're breathing right now. And just our hearts that are pumping the blood, Lord. Because we're still here. We're not yet in glory. And so you have a purpose for us. Uh, and while we're still here, Lord, I just thank you that when two or more gather, that you are there in their, in, in their presence, Lord. And so I pray in this roughly hour that we have together as we open your word, um, may your spirit just move within us and press upon us um, truths within this text um, so that we can come to know you more in your love for us, but also so that we can share that love with others. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So last week we went over, um, oh, it's lagging today, I apologize. Last week we went over, or Roger went over Leviticus, today we're going over Deuteronomy. What is the book that we missed? Numbers. Numbers. We missed numbers. Uh, not too sure why. Roger's a brilliant man, he probably has a good reason for it. But we're going to spend two weeks in uh, the book of Deuteronomy which is the fifth book of the Pentateuch, meaning the five scrolls. And this book is uh, very programmatic. Um, and in it, we're going to see the overarching thesis for this book is that Moses is calling Israel to, to let God be the true authority in their life. And he's calling them to obedience and allegiance and a loyalty to God and God alone. Remember, um, and I'm, really, I'm, try, I'm trying to not go back too much to numbers because I want Rod, when he teaches numbers to you all, to go more in depth in it. So we won't spend too much time. If you have questions, just write it down, put it in your back pocket, bring it out in two weeks' time. Um, but today, as we go over um, Deuteronomy, I want to go over the context of it, kind of lay down some of the groundwork of what's going on currently, um, but also what's preceded this, uh, this book. And so that'll be the book of Numbers. Highly recommend you read it before excuse me, Roger teaches it. So I'll go over the context. We'll do a little bit of review from the book of Leviticus. I'll show you the outline of not only the whole of the book of Deuteronomy, but this first session today, where we'll be looking at the first half, which is roughly uh, the, the first 11 chapters. There's more to it, but that's the, the first half. Do a little bit of teaching. And then at the end, um, if you have any questions or comments, please, please um, ask. And so to, to begin with the context and to do some review how we got to where we're at in the book of Deuteronomy, um, we see that God gave Israel the law on Mount Sinai, which is from Exodus 19 to Numbers 10.10, 10, which includes all of Leviticus. Um, and then in Numbers, uh, and this is all in the book of Numbers, excuse me, uh, they're traveling from Sinai to the promised land. They stop in Kadesh. Um, but then at Kadesh, God gives them more laws and it's where... Israel fumbles the ball. We'll go more into that when Roger teaches numbers. Um, but they're not going to go into the promised land. They're going to spend 40 years in the, in the wilderness. So then from uh, Kadesh, they're, they're going to walk to the plains of Moab. And that's where we're, we're going to spend today. That's where the book of Deuteronomy is written in the plains of Moab. as We see with the law giving. And so the reason why um, Moses and the nation of Israel, the generation that was at Mount Sinai will not walk into the promised land is because they, they lost their trust in God. They, they forsook, forsaked him. Um, they didn't walk into blind faith, into what he was calling them into. Because in the promised land currently, there's nations there. And so when they saw um, how powerful they were, they got really discouraged. They wanted 
They, they threw in the towel, so much so they wanted to go back to Egypt, to be back under captivity. They didn't want to go and fight those people. And so in Numbers 14, verses 22 and 23, we see this, that none of the men of Israel who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have yet put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. And so that verse kind of can sum up for us all the context of, of where we're at when we begin Deuteronomy, how this generation will not get to walk into the promised land that God is promising, promising to the nation of Israel. The younger generation will be able to walk into the promised land, which includes Moses. And so a bit more context for you all for the book of Deuteronomy. Okay, we're good. Um, Moses wrote chapters 1 through 30, um, roughly 30. The reason why he didn't write the whole of it, spoiler alert, he dies. So, of course, he can't write the whole book if he's dead. Um, where did he write it? In the plains of Moab. Um, and this is the last stop of Israel before they walk into the promised land. The date of when this book was written was roughly around the 13th to 15th century. They don't know the exact time, and that's fine. We don't need to, to look too into that. And so a quick map for you all, um, bringing us from Exodus um, into Deuteronomy. In the land of Goshen in Egypt is where Israel was held in captivity by the Egyptians. Um, they began the Exodus. They crossed the Red Sea, uh, the two points believed. And then they went to Mount Sinai, Jebel Musa, as we know. And then from Jebel Musa, they spent time in Kadesh right before um, they were supposed to walk into the promised land. Um, when they sent out the spies and they came back with a report of what they'd seen and they got really discouraged and decided to not go through what God called them to, where um, in Numbers 14, as we just read, where this generation is not going to walk into the promised land. This is their punishment from the Lord. And at the very top up in Canaan, that is where the promised land is. And so bit zoomed in. A lot of these maps are so small and I, I stretch them out for you guys and they're still so small. Um, but here's where... We're at, and Roger will go over this more when he teaches uh, numbers, is that in Kadesh, they go up, they get scared, they come back, they regroup, and then they go up to the plains of Moab, where we're at right now. They're about to walk into the Jordan River, uh, the nation of Israel led by Joshua, which is the next book of the Bible. Um, But they're currently right here in the plains of Moab. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, there's not a major event that's really happening. Um, It's kind of a collection of sermons, of speeches, of Moses Um, retelling Israel their history. He's giving them lessons. He's re-giving them the law so that they're, so they have all of this and all this teaching is, and as I said earlier, Moses is giving them to teach them to hold fast to the Lord, to have, to to only be loyal to him, to have their allegiance to God. Um, And the way they do that is through the covenant, through the law that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai. So sadly, we'll even read how, um, God will not let Moses walk to the promised land, but when he dies, he calls Moses up to uh, Mount Nebo and literally tells Moses, you can go and see the the promised land, but you're not going to walk into it. And he dies on top of that mountain. So there's the map and this this outline that we have. If you guys don't know the Bible Project, I highly recommend it. They have great graphics and great, great videos. Yeah. And so I know it looks overwhelming. I promise you. Uh, that it's not, but it breaks up the book of Deuteronomy by graphics. I use this all the time, not only for um, our kids and children's ministry, but also at Surge with my high school students. 
Um, I found out about Bible Project about 10 years ago, and it's incredible. They're always putting out new work. But today, excuse me, uh, we're only going to be spending time in chapters 1 through 11. So as I just said, um, Moses is retelling Israel their history, the lessons that um, they need to learn from it, but also preparing this younger generation to walk into the promised land. And so he begins it by telling them their exodus of the, the giving of the law of Mount Sinai. Here's the book of Numbers of this new generation walking in or preparing to walk into the promised land. And so Moses is going to give uh, three speeches in the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be looking at the first and the first half of the second speech today. And in it, he's telling them um, where they have messed up and how they have messed up and how they can correct themselves, how they can get their, their, the posture of their heart in the right place um, so that when they walk into the promised land, they're not going to make the same mistakes that they did, in, not only in Egypt, but also um, specifically in the Sinai Desert. So we'll be looking at the Shema um, and a few other bits of the law uh, that Moses is going to tell Israel right now that's going to help us understand not only this first half of the book of Deuteronomy, but the rest of it and also how Israel will be um, once they are in the promised land. And so the interesting thing about the book of Deuteronomy is that it's written um, close, the structure of it, excuse me, is closely written to how um, ancient Near Eastern treaties were signed and written back in in the 12th to uh, 15th century. And so how do we know that? Well, they've discovered um, a treaty from the 13th century. They've looked at uh, the structure of it and it completely matches the uh, the structure of the book of Deuteronomy to where there's a preamble, where there's a prologue, where there's stipulations, where there's blessing and curses, and at the end it wraps it up with an exhortation, exactly how the book of Deuteronomy is written. So we may be asking yourself, well, why, why did God do that? Why is he using, um, in that time, a modern-day way of structuring things, of, of speaking to people? Well, it's because God doesn't always do this, but we can read throughout Scripture that he uses modern-day customs of the time Um, or just cultural norms to speak to his people. Because at this time, other treaties were being signed like this or being written like this. And so when God gave this to Israel, they would have already been been used to it, already been a cultural norm. So he's writing to them in the way that they would understand. Same reason, um, I thought of this. Uh, If God were to write to us today, he'd probably write it in a Microsoft Word document 12 size font, Times New Roman. He'd probably send us in, a, in, a, in an email to our Google account because that's how we all write today. And so this is how they would write back in the day in these treaties. Um, and it would have this structure, same as we do when we say, like, you know, good morning, comma, and then you do your bits and then you have your signature at the end. So that's how God wrote to Israel at this time through Moses. So the outline of the book of Deuteronomy Uh, We can see here, as I said, the prologue where Moses is going to say before Israel um, where they have been, where they are going, who is there. Um, In this first speech, he's going to kind of go diving more into this prologue. And then the second speech, we're going to, as I said, spend the first um, time of the first half of that second speech going over the general covenant stipulations. And then the second half of that speech, he's going to go into the specifics of that of of those stipulations of the covenant. Then in the third and final speech, he's going to go through the blessings and the curses that are within this, um, in this speech for Israel before they go into the promised land. He'll do another exhortation and then a succession of leadership 
when he hands off the baton to uh, Joshua. Joshua is part of this new, gen- the younger generation that will walk in to uh, the promised land. So I want to read uh, just quickly the, the prologue, these first five sentences um, where Moses is setting the stage for Israel in the plains of Moab, preparing them to walk into the promised land. And so this is what uh, Deuteronomy 1, 1 through 5 says. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, and the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him and commanded in, in commandments to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in Edari, beyond the Jordan, the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, good old Irish names. So, <clears throat> from that, we can see the, uh, the 40 years that they have spent in the wilderness. We can see the nations that are on the other side, who they will either fight with, or they've already fought and, and have defeated, or that they've been able to just walk by. And so here we see Moses setting the stage for Israel um, and their uh, preparation for walking into the promised land. And so this first speech um, that Moses is delivering, um, he's rehearsing, as I said, to Israel, their past failures. But he's not doing this to just rub salt in the wound, but he wants them to learn from their mistakes so that they don't make the same mistakes forward. And so from it, the purpose of this is also um, showing them the exact commandments that they have broken so that they don't break them again. He's not just generalizing this. He's speaking into exactly some of these commandments. Um, And so in chapter 4, which is at the end of this first historical prologue, we see Moses transitioning from Israel um, and commanding them to an obedience to the law and to God because they've forsaken him for a golden calf. They've tried adopting some other cultural norms, some, some pagan gods into their, um, into their lifestyle, into the camps of Israel. And so to sum up the whole first speech of Moses, it is uh, verses 6 through 8 in chapter 4. I couldn't spend all the time in there, so I just wanted to give you a quick summary of that first speech. And it says this, Moses speaking to Israel, keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sights of the peoples who... When they will hear all these statues, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statues and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? And so not only are these statues and laws great because God gave them to Israel, And they need to realize that. But he's saying when you follow these and when people hear of these statutes and laws, these nations are going to understand who you are and the God that you serve, but also how that God is in your midst. And so we've done the prologue. We've gone over the first speech. Now we're into the real meat and potatoes, the second speech, which is the general, the first half of it, the general covenant stipulations. So in it, we see kind of a reiteration of an introduction of a prologue where Moses is going to give the geography and the history of Israel and um, sharing where they're at right now before they walk into the promised land. He's going to relay uh, the Ten Commandments again. 
And in the book of Deuteronomy, almost a dozen times, Moses is telling Israel to forsake the idols, to never bow down to the idols, um, which I think is just really interesting. You know, after, and as I preached last Sunday, after the golden calf incident, um, Moses uh, beseeched the Lord to have mercy upon them. But God tells Moses over a dozen times, tell them again, like, forsake the idols, cut it out, serve me and me alone. Um, And then we see... uh, how Moses uh, is sharing to Israel how it was not only you that appointed me as your mediator, but God appointed me to be your mediator, um, just showing the, this, how special he is in the nation of Israel. Then we'll go over the greatest commandment um, in the Old Testament, the Shema. Uh, Moses will then tell Israel this incredible and exclusive relationship that they have with God. And then he'll go into the lessons that he wants them to learn. And then a final exhortation, as he did, not only with the prologue and the first speech, but he does in the second speech and then the third speech. And so the Shema, this great, um, one of my favorite Old Testament verses, but it's actually this prayer, this, this, this giving um, of, I guess you could say the law for Israel, is something that uh, Jews have been praying for thousands of years, both in the morning, both in the morning. And at night, and it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates so this prayer that's written thousands upon thousands of years ago that's still being prayed today, it's, it's a prayer that Danielle and I and Jane pray uh, at the beginning of all of, of, all of our Sabbaths every week. Um, while it's a short prayer, it shows two great things in it. And the first is that the Lord our God is one. So it's showing the, the monotheism of God, which is completely a stark contrast from all other gods at that time, the pagan gods. You look at Egypt, they had hundreds upon hundreds of gods um, Moses wants them to know, and it's kind of going back to the golden calf incident. Like, there's only one God, and it's me, no one else. I'm not sharing my lordship with you. It's me or nothing. But the Shema, um, what it means is to hear. It's, it, it's to listen. And so not only is it calling them to listen, but it's also calling them to obey, to obey God and to obey his law. And so from it, we also see the special relationship that Israel has with God. And how not only are they supposed to just keep it for themselves, but they're supposed to propagate it for generations upon generations to come. And so when they pray this prayer, not only are they remembering who God is and what he's done for them, but also what he is going to do for them, the promises that he has through his covenants with his people. And so the Shema, as I said in verse four, shows the uniqueness of God, how he's monotheistic rather than polytheistic, stark contrast to other gods in that day. Verse 5 calls Israel to love God with all of one's power, which is really interesting because we know from Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked about, um, when he was trying, when the Pharisees were trying to trick him up, Jesus said in Matthew 22, um, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it, to love thy neighbor as thyself. And we see that this is a this is rooted in the Shema, this great love that only that God has for us, but we're to have um, with others. And so, as I said, the Shema means to hear, to listen, but it's also calling 
um, Israel to obedience. To, so when, listening to, when they hear it, to Shema, not one ear and out the other, but to, to penetrate one's heart, to change their identity so that they have complete devotion to the Lord and the Lord alone. So the Shema was a beautiful prayer. It's also a prayer of devotion to God. And so I encourage you to pray this prayer. Um, not every morning, not every night. I don't say you have to, but it's a beautiful prayer. If we read it and you realize that it's been being prayed for centuries, it's the word of God, but also the devotion that we're called, um, called to have to God. And so that's one of the reasons why many times it's prayed um, at the beginning of Sabbaths, but also um, in the morning when you speak this over yourself, when you pray this to God, you know how you can walk about your day, walk forward into your day. And so moving on, we've gone through the Shema. Um, what's next is we see Moses relay to Israel this exclusive relationship that they have with God and God alone. He's illuminating to them also this, how awesome God is and how fortunate and how blessed that they are to have this relationship with God. And so in all of chapter seven, he's going to tell Israel of this incredible relationship, um, this exclusive relationship, excuse me, that they have with God. In verse six, he tells Israel, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. Remember this from Genesis and the Abrahamic covenant. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. The Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. And so in all this, Moses is telling Israel how they're a chosen people, how God sees them as his treasured possession, how he loves them, how he will bless and multiply them, and how they are blessed more than any other people's group on the face of the earth, but also how it is God who is in their midst. They're not alone in this. God has, has been with them uh, from leaving Egypt in the Exodus to on top of Mount Sinai to even when they forsook him um, in um, outside of Kadesh, when they were supposed to walk into the promised land, even when they um, wanted to go back to Egypt and be under Egyptian rule because they were so scared. And they, when the spies brought back the reports, they didn't want to hear it. They, just, they were too scared. They had a heart of fear and of pride. In those moments, still, God was in their midst. And no other God at that time was that way. We knew they were all false, but no other people would say that their God was within their midst. And so from that, he's, he's making sure that Israel knows just how special um, God sees them and how they have this exclusive relationship with him. So then he goes into not only this relationship, but he wants them to, to realize these lessons that they've learned from, um, from their time, the 40 years in the desert. If they haven't learned the lesson, he's retelling them what they did so that they can learn this lesson. And so we see, and this is all in chapter 8. In verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And then in 18 to 20, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. 
which is the whole reason why this older generation is not walking into the promised land. They didn't obey the voice of the Lord. They didn't obey his law. They're forsaken this covenant that he had with them. And so he's wanting them to remember not only this relationship that they have with God, but these lessons that they've learned. And hopefully this, this younger generation, when they walk into the promised land, they can remember these lessons and not make the same mistakes as, as their forefathers did. And so at the end of this um, second speech, at the first half of the second speech, of these general covenant stipulations, um, we see this incredible exhortation of Moses to Israel. And he'll do another exhortation at the end of the next speech. Um, and at the very end, right before he, when he passes off the baton as the leader of Israel. But in this exhortation, we can see Moses just pouring out his heart. He's, he's right in the face. He's repeated himself and repeated himself. But he doesn't want Israel to make the same mistakes. And so in this exhortation, he's imploring Israel to transform their hearts. They can't walk into the, the promised land the way they are right now or the way that they were. They have to walk in to the promised land with a new heart. And he actually tells them to, to circumcise their hearts. But we see in, ver, uh, in chapter 10 how Moses is imploring them to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve him something that they weren't doing because they were self-serving people. They had the golden calf or they made themselves their own gods. They, they, they were idolizing themselves. They thought they knew what was best for them. And clearly it's not. And because of the 40-year punishment that they had, he doesn't want this to happen again. And so he's telling them, it's from the heart that you've done all these things. You need to change your heart. So he tells them this in this beautiful imagery. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. Bribe. And so he's telling them to cut out the stubbornness of your heart. You've been so stubborn for so long that you can't be this way in the, in the promised land. This promised land that God is going to give for you, for you to walk into it, you need to be, your heart needs to be in the posture that he wants it to be. And so how do they do that? How do they circumcise their heart? Well, he's telling them to remember the Lord your God, to fear the Lord your God, to walk with the Lord your God, to love the Lord your God, and to serve the Lord your God, because Yahweh is a jealous God. He wants all of you, not parts of you. He wants your whole heart. And so circumcise, cut out the bad that's within it, the sin that's within it, the stubbornness, the fear that you have, the pride that you have. If God's calling you to the promised land and you see the Canaanites and all these other groups, these nations that look really scary, well, don't, don't look at it. Like, if God's calling you to it, don't look at it the way you see it. You need to look at it the way that God sees it and what he's going to, uh, to bring forth through you and for you to uphold his covenants, to keep his promises, because he is faithful, even though the nation of Israel has been unfaithful time and time again, yet God has still been in their midst. And so at the end of this exhortation, he's going to give Israel um, a forewarning He's going to give them a blessing and a curse. And he says in chapter 11, verse 26, 28, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse. If you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Because he's preparing them to walk into the promised land. So he's letting them know, if you, if, you, if you mess up, if you forsake God, if you walk the opposite way, there will be a curse. And he's going to go on later in a, in a few chapters on what exactly that curse is at the very end of his last speech, right before he dies. Um, 
It's really graphic. It's really explicit. He does not hold back. But also, when he gives the, the blessing, when he goes more into the specifics of it, because remember, he's just going to the general stipulations of the covenant. Um, he's going to share with them the blessing of what can come forth if they have the right heart posture, if they have a true allegiance to the Lord, if they don't forsake him in his law. And so he tells them at the end of this speech, uh, the f- first half, that it is you who are going to cross over the Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the, your, the Lord your God is giving you. And when you possess this land and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statues and rules that I am setting before you today. And so this exhortation, as I said, he's, he's repeating himself. He's red in the face. The reason being is that he, like, this is his people. It's God's people, but he's, been in, he's the leader of the nation of Israel. He's their mediator. He's their prophet. And so while he's led them through the wilderness, he's already defeated two, uh, two people groups, two nations. He spent time on top of Mount Sinai. He, as I taught last, or preached last Sunday, you know, he went before the Lord for 40 days, imploring the Lord, beseeching him, don't wipe out these people. I know they have forsaken you for a golden calf, but please don't, don't wipe them out. He is not going to be the one that walked in the promised land. His, his children are the children of Israel to him. This younger generation will. And so we see how, just how emotional Moses is when he's giving this to the nation of Israel. He doesn't want them to make the same mistakes. And so we'll see more exhortations um, in the whole of the book of Deuteronomy. But look at it not only from the heart of God, because it's God who's, telling, who's giving Moses these words to the nation of Israel. We're also seeing the, the heart of a man who is leading this nation, how much he cares for them, all of what he's gone through with them, um, because he doesn't want them to make the same mistakes, not only for their sake, but also for the Lord. He wants to to be found righteous before him and pure before him, but also for this nation, um, for this people group of God. So that is this first session of our time in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Does anybody have any questions or comments or anything that impressed upon your heart that you'd like to highlight or just bring forward? And if you saw that I made another mistake, please call it out. I don't want to make the same mistake. Please, please. When does the second command come? The second. Oh, from Matthew 22, to love, the, to love your neighbor as yourself. So you can kind of see that in all of the Pentateuch, because especially in the book of Deuteronomy, and I'll go into this more next week, God tells Moses to take in the sojourner. And when they come into the camp, to treat them as your own. And so while it wasn't explicitly given in the Pentateuch, um, we can see it time and time again um, to, to love the sojourner, the people who are coming into the, the nation of Israel, to also your neighbors. Because we see, um, we saw from the giving of the Mosaic Covenant, God told Moses that they will, he will bless them and multiply them so that they will be a blessing to all other nations. And so that's not just from... Other nations seeing how bright Israel is, how it burns for the Lord, um, and how incredible it is, but also how they're supposed to treat other nations. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, God will tell Israel, you are not to borrow from anybody, but if anybody wants to borrow from you, you will give unto them. Um, We'll also see um, every seven years um, how if your brother has um, um, a line of credit with you, how you're supposed to forgive it. And if you see your brother in need, how you're supposed to take care of him. Um, take care of the widow, take care of the fatherless, take care um, of the sojourner. So all these people, um, groups, you're supposed to love and bless. You're a royal priesthood. 
And so when we see when Jesus gave the, the first and second greatest commandment, the first rooted in the Shema, but also the second is rooted in so many verses in the Old Testament that it's just kind of a, a blanket statement to Israel, one of the many blanket statements to Israel in the Old Testament, specifically in the Pentateuch, of how they're supposed to treat other people. And so when Jesus gave that in the New Testament, he's just giving it, kind of like in the Shema, just a real simple short, this is how you're supposed to love God, but also love your neighbor. So that's how the second commandment is rooted in the Old Testament. That second commandment, what year did that come out? say, like 80, 30. Uh, I mean, during Jesus' life and ministry, we know that Jesus died at the age of 33. His ministry began at 30, uh, only lasted for three years. And um, so yeah, between 80, 30 to 33. And as we know with all of Jesus' teachings rooted in the Old Testament, many of his new teachings you can see, and if you have an index in your Bible, you'll see so, like, they're just rooted in all these verses from the Old Testament. And so with the book of Deuteronomy. It's a call to covenant faithfulness. Um, Moses just reiterating to Israel all the laws that have been given to them beforehand. And you've messed up, and you've messed up, and you've messed up, but don't forget these laws. Don't forget that this gift that God has given you, this instruction, this covenant, and these promises, um, which Jesus, as he said, he didn't come to, 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 to not um, uphold the law and the prophets, but if, the way to, for you to uphold the law and the prophets is to live out the first and the second greatest commandment. So, yes, Charlie. Uh, the Israelites spoke God's chosen people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Canaanites. Yes. Uh, were they tested at some point? Pagan. Have they been tested and failed? Um, I'm going to say no. The Bible doesn't really talk too much into it, but we can see that a lot of these nations that Israel... Um, is going to have to fight um, either when they walk by these nations, uh, they can either make a treaty with them or they can walk peacefully with them or they will have to fight and God's going to be with them. And so the Canaanites, like many other of the nations, you just see how wretched that they are. There's, they were sacrificing children, um, sexually immoral. And so kind of to answer that question relating it to Pharaoh, you know, Pharaoh had many times to come to the Lord. God hardened his heart, Right. And so because he, he used them for his um, fulfilling of his promises to the nation of Israel. So we can kind of view Canaan kind of like Pharaoh and the essence of, you know, there's these wretched people. And, of course, our, our good moral hearts are like, well, what about them? Did they have a chance? Well, let's not look too far into that, just like with Pharaoh. But let's just see how God used those people um, to show his righteousness, his sovereignty, um, and how the nation of Israel will overtake them and be in this promised land. And so, yeah, the Bible doesn't say, like, God gave Cana this many times to, to repent and, and to follow him explicitly. Um, so I can't really answer that definitively, but generally, yeah, uh, no. Like, he, they didn't get a, a chance. So. There probably is. I can find out and tell you next week. Thousands, though. Thousands. What's that? Yeah. Al. Yeah, I was. I don't have the answer to that. Mm-hmm. But I had a few minutes before service today, so I didn't know we were going to do 
Deuteronomy. So I started reading uh, Numbers. Mm-hmm. And I was fascinated in Numbers, and so we could maybe bring this up again when Roger teaches about Numbers. Same question. But in, in, in Numbers, it said the total number of. So it says census. Yes. The, the censuses. Five chapters in Numbers. Something like. There were 625,000. I was going to say 300,000, but I'm glad I didn't. 600? So I'm thinking, wow, there's half a million people, yeah. over half a million people. Were, and this is at the beginning when they came to Egypt. This is like the, the beginning of the second year after they left Egypt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, were, so, so I had to readjust my thinking. I'm thinking of some small number of uh, Israel. No, no, no. We're talking. I'm talking about contemporary Hebrew. I'm putting it in different terms. We're over half a million people. We've got a lot of people. Right. And so, anyway. I think somebody wanted to go back to Egypt. Somebody had to feed those people. Yeah. I mean, we read to Al's point, Exodus chapter 1, verse 9, right off the bat. Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us in Egypt. So they're just, a, I mean, they're, they are multiplying. God is blessing them. They're being fruitful. And so your point, yeah, that's not just like a neighborhood of people. No, it's thousands. The older ones died. They were mm-hmm. allowed to go through. I wonder if there was more because they were more or less because they were multiplying. Mm-hmm. So did they end up During having those 40 years. During those 40 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, great way to put it. They were just multiplying. They were like rabbits. Yeah, in the desert too. And I think it's a funny note. uh, It's in Numbers, but also Deuteronomy, where God tells Israel, like, through Moses, like, I've blessed you with water from rock. I've blessed you with quail, with bread. But then he also brings up, because all these miles that Israel's walked, he talks about how they haven't had any sores on their feet. And so I think about, like, I mean, we've seen some of the terrain in Egypt. I mean, there's rocks everywhere. If you've ever been in the desert, it's not just sand. But he goes into, for these thousands of people, not one sore on your feet. Like, that's a testament to itself. There was no new balances. There was no arthritic, like, arch support. No, no, no. What's that? Their clothes Yeah, and their clothes never wore out. Yes, thank you. Another one. Yeah. And so, I mean, if we wear one T-shirt all summer, like, it's going to be dried out. and No Tide Pods, too. Mm-hmm. He was because some people were alive mm-hmm. when they went through all this. Thing. Yes, and he keeps repeating this story over and over to these people, the new people that are going in mm-hmm. the promised land, mm-hmm. and just like everything. Yeah, yeah, us too. How many times do we have to go back? And so that's why, um, yeah, to your point, you know, we have to continually just spend time in the word of the Lord because we can know it once. Martin Luther's great quote, like, why do I repeat myself? Why do I repeat the gospel to myself daily? It's because I need it daily. I forsake it. I forget it. And so, yeah, so I imagine this is a, um, I was taught this and it's a powerful tool to do whenever you read the Bible is try and put yourselves in the, in the shoes of God or in the shoes of Moses just to kind of understand it more. And so, I mean, yeah, what must it have been like to be in that younger generation where you're hearing Moses just repeat and repeat and repeat. And then, you know, you go home and your parents are like, oh my gosh, like, yes, we did that. We did that. And just like, 
you made a golden calf? Like, what? Why did you do that? Or you didn't walk into the promised land? You could have, we could have already been there for 40 years now. And so, yeah, I mean, just to be that younger uh, generation, especially Joshua, who Moses is going to hand off the baton to, to be the leader of Israel. Like, golly, he keeps repeating himself and repeating himself. I hope that when we go into the promised land that they really listen and they heeded his advice and we don't make the same mistakes. But, yeah, you're right. To repeating, I mean, the, the repetition is just, I, I, I tried counting it all um, just in the first half of the speech. And I got to a certain number, but then I was looking at the rest of the speech. I was like, he just keeps going. He's just repeating himself. So the book of Deuteronomy, there's no new laws. He's just reiterating the laws of the past four books of the Pentateuch. He's telling Israel what they should already know, what they already know, but they don't know. So he's going to keep telling them. So. Yourself with sin. Yes. Sometimes you do that. Exactly. And so Deuteronomy really reveals, too, just the, the sinful nature of mankind. And also how easy we are to forsake God, to, 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 to leave him and to leave his law, even though he has a, these incredible promises and blessings for us that are rooted in his covenant. So, any other co- comments, questions, concerns, impressions? How do the fruits of the Spirit play in? Fruits of the Spirit, how do they play in? Love, joy, peace, patience, yeah. I think for all the fruits of the spirit, you can definitely um, root them and see them also lived out, um, but also God blessing them with them in the Old Testament. So when we see it in the New Testament, we're seeing it kind of explicitly laid out. These are the fruits of the spirit. Um, But that'd be really interesting to look at it, to have the fruits of the spirit before you and kind of use it as a lens to read the Pentateuch or even the Old Testament to see where we can see um, where the fruit is being shown. So... I don't know exactly where, but that'd be, that'd be interesting to read, even just the book of Deuteronomy through the lens of the fruits of the Spirit. So.